Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, Guilty Feminists. We've got a lovely, lovely episode of The Guilty Feminist today with three teenagers from Wales telling us all about being 13 and feminist. And my guest co-host is the brilliant Sarah Keyworth making her Guilty Feminist debut. Before we begin, two weeks ago, we had Maridal Wardois, who is the CEO of the Edinburgh Rape Crisis Centre on the show. She made a statement on her website, which I would love you to read if you listen to the episode, Edinburgh Rape Crisis website. But also, I want to summarise it and endorse it. She says, I'm writing this because I want to make clear that what I said on the Guilty Feminist podcast, whilst I wished my language had been clearer, a few sentences in particular have been taken out of context. She explains that her input in the podcast is based on almost two decades of experience in tackling violence against women and working with survivors. And she wants to make it very clear that if a woman engages with the services of the crisis centre through any route and she feels as she is not comfortable with any support worker allocated to her, we will, of course, prioritise that need and do whatever we can to provide the right support. 
This is the very basis of a person-centred approach and is a foundation of service delivery and advocacy work and support services across a number of sectors. Alongside this, it is also critical that we act as proactive bystanders and lead by example as an organisation dedicated to equality and human rights. She says it's got to be a safe space for staff and volunteers and we have to take seriously our role in creating a fairer society and this would be the case for any prejudice be it racism, classism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia or transphobia. Um, But she absolutely makes it clear that she, the Edinburgh Rape Crisis Centre and the rape crisis movement in Scotland is not looking to re-educate survivors when they come in for the urgent, potentially life-saving support they may need. That would be inappropriate. She says what we can do when they are ready and if they are interested is to help them take part in wider discussions about how violence against women is a cause and a consequence of a deeply unequal and sexist society. Seeing it through this lens can potentially empower survivors to not feel alone, which is so important when they may be feeling blame or shame, and to understand and progress their recovery. These conversations can happen as part of support if survivors are looking to have that conversation with their support worker or they can join group works or workshops. This is what is meant by reframing trauma. I understood Maridal to mean that at the time and not for one second did I think that she meant if somebody turns up looking for help and support that they should be re-educated or in any way indoctrinated or told, no, you have to see this person. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Um, I felt like just through listening to Maridal talk, it was clear that she wasn't that kind of person and that was nothing that she would mean. And I also feel like her record speaks for itself. She's been working in the sector for so long and dedicated her life to it. But I also understand that conversation was triggering for people. And I asked that question, so I take responsibility for the framing of the answer. And I'm so sorry that it was triggering for some people. It's not what was meant, but the fact that that impact was there is on me. It's not on Maridal. I really, really appreciate your understanding on this. You know, we try to get these things right And we don't always, um, we're a small podcast, Um, we're not the BBC, but we're really, really trying to have the difficult discussions and hear from people who often aren't heard from. Um, Which brings us to the episode today, where we have three wonderful 13-year-olds and the lead singer of a punk band. I can't offer you more than that, except the exceptional Sarah Keyworth, so I'll offer you her as well. And now on with the show. I'm a feminist, but this week I have been feeling down and I honestly can't decide if it's because I've got my period or because the United Nations has sort of announced that it's very close to the end of the world because (laughs) of climate change. It could be that I'm premenstrual. It could be climate change. I don't know. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. I feel like it's it's a strong, potent cocktail, Sarah Keyworth. To be honest, when the week before I get my period, it does feel like the end of the world. So I think it is probably a combination. I think it's a combo. I think it's a combo. Not to make light of the UN report about the climate change in any way, shape, or form, but I have been unaccountably like feeling low, and I'm like, I'm premenstrual, but also there is this very real thing. I'm a feminist, but. I don't want anyone to tell my mum about the Free the Nipple campaign. Why do you think she'll get too involved? I think she would. I think she would embrace it with, with both boobs. Oh. And you think then she'll start like <laughs> saying, saying Free the Nipple on Instagram and you're going to find that Absolutely, and it would be, be traumatising for everybody involved. 
do you would you I mean I, I think I know some of those guys in the campaign would you like me to have a word with them and say free the nipple except for Sarah Keyworth mum's nipples I just think if they could, it? everything they put online if they could just mute it from my mother specifically that would be a real favor for me great okay all right the Keyworth mum disclaimer to free the nipple but I think people can should write in and say oh actually just throw, can you add my mum in the mix there please so free the nipple, but except if people don't want their mum's nipples being freed. Yes, some nipples should stay locked up is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is one of the more heinous I'm a feminist butts we've ever had. You're that, that you you're are again. standing between the world and your mother's freedom for self-expression and her beautiful body. Oh, no, she can do whatever she wants. Just not on Instagram. Okay, but I, I think my mother should free the nipple but can she tell me when she's about to so that I can leave the room? Right. Fair, fair, absolutely fair enough. That and is not just, on that, social media. To be fair, that is just a longer I'm in feminist butt than what I wanted to do. Yeah. Were you breastfed? I'm fairly confident I was. I don't remember it. Then at some point, those nipples were freed for you and you, you're ungrateful if you ask <laughs> I'm me. Very, I am ungrateful and I hold my hands up, Deborah. <laughs> An ungrateful child is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm a feminist, but I've got a new look because now we're allowed out. I'm I've I've been in sweatpants for you know eighteen months, and as we all have, so I've I've got a new look. Now this is called a waspy. I'm going to show it. I've worn it for you, Sarah. Can you see this? It's a little corset that goes under your breasts, and but it does it doesn't incorporate the breast. It frees the nipple, but it's basically like a very wide belt that sucks you in. And I call this look. Business Bridgerton, oh. um, because it gives you the sort of Nicola Coughlin, as she has many times discussed, that her breasts get heaved up under her chin in, on Bridgerton. Mm. Um, but you can wear it with a business-like blouse and a blazer, a jacket. So my new look when I go out for meetings is Business Bridgerton, like a really cool hike-em-in corset, but then everything else is just like, well, I'm in a normal meeting, I'm an ordinary person. I like that it really sort of shows off the contrast of our personalities that you've gone with a Bridgerton reference. And all I can think about when I see that big thick belt is that it looks like you've won a major wrestling tournament. <laughs> I, I feel I feel there's a, there's a divide between us. It is. Um, that's, and that's, that's where the magic happens. It really is in that particular <laughs> gap, that particular feminist gap. At, at some point, could you take that off and, and hold it above your head? Like, a like an Olympic, yeah, an yeah. Olympic medal. The most I would win anything for is a tussle in a bodice ripper between <laughs> me and a rival of whom I was jealous, perhaps. But maybe that tussle. Anyway, let's not dwell on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, keep going, keep going, Sarah. Keep going. Do another I'm a feminist, but uh, I am a feminist, but I don't think a woman's right to choose should extend to the recent return of the 90s trend of exposed thongs with low-rise jeans. A hundred percent endorsed by me. That gap has closed. I think We've that women... Sh- our cultural gap, yeah. Women should be able to choose about most things, but some things should just be criminalised. It was just a bit. It was just a poor period for fashion. That low-rise mm-hmm. jean with the, the the what do they call it? Whale tail. It was a poor period for fashion. Listen again, along with free the nip. This has nothing to do with anybody's uh, for me. Like it's not about standards. It's just about this is not. It's not a good or necessary look. I don't see the benefit. I only see a drafty, uh, you know, backdoor. I only see I, a wedgie, Deborah. That's all I see. I, 
Just no. Just, just, just. Let's leave that in the past. There's no nostalgia for that. But it was a whole thing. It was a real, really long period. It's coming back. It's returning. Uh, please no. I was really happy when high waisted jeans came back. I mean, I've gone for the waspy. These waspies, when worn with a trouser, and I do say it's trouser because I speak fashion and it's the singular. Um, make it look like a really high waisted trouser that comes up right up here, and I just mm. I love that look so much. So I'm, I'm glad that you going. clarified because I was picturing you with just a single trouser leg. So this is a yeah. <laughs> you a... need to know in the gap between us there exists <laughs> fashion where things are singular. So you know how you'd say a bra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Say a pair of bras, even though it is two. I cups. say a pair of bras. Well, yeah. <laughs> most so people would say every day a I, I wake bra. up, I put my pair of sports bras on, <laughs> and I crack on um, with my day. And the, well, that pair of bras, okay, it's like that, but a bra, a trouser, a shoe. Yeah. So you have you have fashion and uh, other culture like Bridgerton. You have pretty much yeah. everything, but I have wrestling. That's right. That's right. And I won't concede uh, wrestling. You can't have in it. wrestling. You would wear a leotard, but not a pair of leotards. Um, <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm a feminist, but sometimes Pretty Patel's policies and bills, which she's attempting to make law, are so bad. I've actually said to myself, "Was it worth giving women the vote?" <laughs> I mean. <laughs> If you don't have the vote, you can't become an MP, you can't become an MP, you can't become a front bencher, you can't become a front bencher, you can't be throwing around all these government bills which are turning into law. So you're serious rights. <laughs> so you're suggesting that we should go so far back that we to take away got a women's machine. right to vote so that Pretty Patel can't get in. I'm not saying it's the only solution, but I'm saying it's a quick fix. <laughs> Such a quick fix. No, I agree I mean, with that's you. That's obviously it's... a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke, everybody. Stand down, calm, relax. I'm I'm up for it. Feminism laugh as one. I obviously <laughs> don't want to lose the vote on behalf of Pretty Patel. It's just some days. But wouldn't some it be days. nice if she lost the vote? <laughs> I'm just saying, could we be a bit more discriminated about which women get the vote? Is it is that wrong? Yes, yeah. obviously. Can it we is, do a yet... are you pure evil test before they get the vote? It's just, I mean, seriously, the the policing bill and the borders bill, it's really scary. Do you have another I'm a feminist but? I'm a feminist but I went to a lesbian event the other night uh, and after waiting in line for 45 minutes, I did start to wish we had some men in the mix just to speed up the toilet queue. <laughs> wow. That's a bit like women getting the vote. It is, could they not make? Could they just not do it? If it's a lesbian event, can they not just throw open the loos left, right and centre? Can't we just have well, No, but my point is that they were, they were, all the loos were open, but when you have a, <laughs> a like gender-neutral event or an event with a whole host of people there, whatever, however they may identify, you will have some speedier peers than we had that night. So I even see. if we were all queuing for the same loo, you do have mm. some some people pee quicker than others. I see your point. Uh, it may be a, uh, a a bulky lesbian issue. A big bulk um, lesbian issue. <laughs> hmm. I need to stop um, buying them in bulk. That's the problem. <laughs> just, you know, in the pandemic, people do buy in bulk because mm. you worry you're going to run out of things. Lesbians I, are no exception. I panic bought 75 lesbians back in March <laughs> in 2020. The Ocado weren't delivering. No, they weren't. They ran out quickly, though. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, the wealthier yeah. you are, the more lesbians you'll buy. Mm. That sort of <laughs> middle class, you know, mm. do you think Sandy Toxfig got a run Sandy off? Toxfig was swept off the shelf immediately. <laughs> Did you do a bit about Sandy Toxfig being a queen in your show? I had a bit about how she was the leader of the lesbians. And then one day, was she in the audience? Uh, her son came to see my show and I didn't realise that and I was picking on him because he was in the front row <gasps> uh, and I was teasing him and then I did my this was like my second show of the Edinburgh Fringe and I did my Sandy Toxvig joke and the guy next to him started pointing at him and I was like what and I'd been like teasing him the whole time and uh, I went what Sandy Toxvig what and he went oh yeah she's my mum that must and have caused, I, I mean, there's nothing better that could happen in that show. Though. Absolute chaos in the room. I fell to my knees and apologised because I had offended lesbian royalty. Uh, <laughs> and uh-huh. There's a picture of me with my head in my hands. Uh, and then he came back the next week and he brought his mum with him. Uh, and so it's when I did my Sandy Toxic joke, she, she got up and came and gave me a hug on stage. It was two years ago today, actually, which is why I reposted about it today. Do you know, I did not know that. I just remembered really? it. No, no right. I, didn't, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't see you posting about it. Earlier today, I posted about it on Instagram because it's two years to the day that Sandy Toxic gave me a hug. This is a <laughs> wonderful, special wonderful moment. thing. She came and did a, an episode with us recently, which was wonderful. She's a, she's a, a fabulous human mm. being and a brilliant comedian. Which is why she was purchased so swiftly during the early days of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> she, went, she was the first one to go on the Ocado shelves. You can understand it. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Sarah Kingworth, and our very special guests, Amelia, Amy and Roxy, talking about defending your patch. Woo! Yeah! Yeah! Yes! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminist style hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Sarah Keyworth. And we're talking about defending our patch. Uh, Sarah Keyworth, how Hello. are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? And now, Sarah Keyworth, you are a comedian of some note, I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, I'd say one note. <laughs> I think some note uh-huh. and I think this might be your first time co-hosting The Guilty Feminist It is. Actually. I think it's my first appearance it is my debut on The Guilty Feminist wow is it your Previously, debut? you did live shows didn't you no I was meant to and then I think that there was some like, there might have been a global pandemic oh yeah I haven't heard about that no what, uh, <laughs> do you know what after the recording I'll tell you everything tell me more about that uh-huh. that's uh because sounds that sounds fascinating it's like something we should be covering on this podcast as we like to kind of you know be ahead of the game and and uh so if that's something that's you know in the news I I think we should probably be discussing I think it. we should cover it today for thanks sure. for bringing it to our attention uh but um, previously I was a very uh unashamed feminist and then I woke up feeling quite guilty this morning and so I gave you a ring didn't I yeah, you did. You said, mm. uh, whoever's on the Guilty Feminist t- uh, tonight, they're not as guilty as me. They're not as guilty Get rid as of them. <laughs> They've not done and, what I've uh, done. And, and, uh, and, of course, we did. Uh, it's a bit like when the big bat goes up in the sky, Batman responds. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the big GF goes up in the sky, you know, Sarah Keyworth wants to be on the podcast mm. and the Guilty Feminist mobile starts revving up. Either that or um, there is something gluten-free happening. Or it's your girlfriend. It's, it's my girlfriend. Could be that. Uh, it could be any of those. Um, so we've got some young people on the podcast tonight, Sarah. Our guests are going to be 
I'm not going to lie to you, frighteningly young. They're going to be 13. I can't believe you've brought me on here. I, I have to. What are you? Is it that you, you're not allowed to be in a certain distance of a school? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. But I do have to rethink all of my language now. Yeah, this is the only thing. There has to be limited effing and, and, and no blinding at all. And you mentioned it as well that their mums are listening in on the call. So that's the thing. That's the thing is their mums are listening in and they will be guarding Kev and they, they'll have a buzzer. So if you say anything that's over the line, she'll be able to, they'll be able to buzz. I'm not only terrified of my own mother, but I'm also just terrified of mums in general. Also. Rightly so. Rightly so. And uh, you, well, your mum's on the call as well because we thought it was only fair. If their mums were on the call, yeah. your mum should uh-huh. be on the call monitoring what you're Someone saying. My mum's on, on the me, call. Absolutely. Yeah, all yeah. mums are on the call. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're talking about protecting your patch because these young girls are engaged with feminism. They listen to the guilty feminists. They care about the world they're in. They feel frustrated uh, at you know some of the stuff that goes on at their school. I'm so relieved that you've explained to me what protecting your patch means because I thought yeah. it was just covering your bits when you're standing in a line in a football match (laughs) i mean wow wow i mean and this is exactly the kind of thing you won't be able to say when the guests come on when the mums mums, when your mum's on when your mum's on (laughs) going sarah i raised you better than this she didn't so when you were a kid did you have a sense of feminism when you were 13 did you have a sense that you were a feminist or could be a feminist or that feminism existed no i i hated being a girl, the way my brain dealt with gender inequality was, I just went, oh, I'm in the, I'm in the bad team. Yeah, I've ended up in the wrong team. Yeah. In terms of queerness, did you have a sense of LGBTQ rights? Nothing at all. I didn't know there were other queer people in the world. Was there ever a time when you protected your patch in a way that was sort of outside of this, that you stood up for something at school or that you... Do you remember the first time that you did that, that you drew a boundary or you said, no, we don't want that here? I, I, did, I refused to, in my primary school, I think it was, there was an expectation that girls wore dresses and I didn't. You but said, that, I'm not I'm going to, was it a uniform? Yeah, it was a uniform. And you, do you got the boys uniform? But I don't, well, I wore trousers, I think there were girls trousers, but I was allowed to wear trousers. But I don't know whether that was a conversation that was more about me and my mum or it was more about me in the school, but I was so unhappy and my mum had to like wrestle me into tights and a dress every morning. But at some stage that stopped happening. I mean, I, 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 I was not a confident child. I was not the kind of child to stick my neck out, put my head above the parapet. I, I wanted nobody to notice me. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I eventually got to a stage of my, ch- of my youth and my teenage years where I tried to conform and I wanted I was like I don't want to do this anymore I want to be straight and I grew my hair and I tried to look more feminine and I say my radio show that disappoints me if anybody had been relying on me to make a change like I think I referenced um Leah Delaria she is the first queer woman to do a late night stand-up spot and also hosted the first ever televised gay stand-up set and in both and this is this bit got cut out of my radio show because it was too long in both introductions, she is brought onto the stage uh, with the most sort of misogynistic, sort of base level jokes about her size and her strength and, and things like that. You, if you saw it now, it, you'd be like, that's quite demeaning. 
But at the time she comes out and she has boundless energy and she's hilarious and she's amazing. And you think she came out with that introduction and even the introduction before, I think, I think in the late night spot, the host says and that by oh, late some, night you mean like a on a Letterman like type a, style yeah, show, Letterman yeah, Letterman, yeah, late I, night television. I, yeah, I think the host says, "Oh, some viewers will find my next guest controversial." Wow, what year um, was that? Was it the nineties? She's not that it was old. Nineties, must yeah, be, yeah. it must be the nineties. Wow, good times, good times, gang. And I think about that, and I think, imagine having the bravery to just because of your sexuality to hear someone say this next guest is going to be controversial and then come out and be as funny as she was. And she paved the way and she was amazing and she was hilarious and she proved her point that she was funny and she was just as funny as anyone else and she ripped the room apart. And she was one of the people who are now have paved the way for people like me where I can go out and I think the joke I wrote in the radio show was like the biggest thing that me and other queer women have to worry about is it whether or not we turn up wearing the same suit. <laughs> like, but I don't, I don't think that when I think about myself when I was younger, I wish that I'd been braver because, as I say, if anyone had been relying on me to pave the way for anybody, I would, I would have not done it. I would not have been capable. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm like to think that I'm better now and I'm doing more now, but I, I did not have that confidence as a child. But I think it's the power structure that robbed you of the confidence in the first place. Like you can't really blame yourself for having a while of wanting to fit in. I know a lot of. I know a lot of gay men who had a period where they tried to become like a born again Christian and sort of pray away mm-hmm. the gay. And, you know, just, it's just like this frustration of carrying this self loathing and this baggage because, you know, the whole world is telling you you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I was listening to Bowen Young on Alan Cummings' podcast, um, Shelves, and he was saying that his parents freaked out. Bowen Young is a, now was a comedian, first Chinese American comedian on it on Saturday Night Live. And only the third out gay man, um, unbelievably, because that show's been going since the 1890s. And um, the third out gay man in 2021. Really? Really Saturday Night Live? Really? It's crazy, isn't it? It's wild. Uh, And anyway, uh, he was saying when his parents, I think his dad found something on the computer that he'd been in a chat room or something and flipped out and sent him to conversion classes. And... Alan was saying, you know, did you try it? Like, did you you go along? And he said, yeah, I thought, well, like my, you know, I'm the child of immigrants and I can't displease them to this level because they were crying. And, you know, like he said, I I have to give it a go. And so I think you are not alone at all. In fact, I would say you're in the vast majority to go, can I just give this a go? Because life's going to be so much easier. And then discovering it does not work. And mm. Bowen Yang says he now has a really good relationship with his parents, a healthy relationship with his parents, and, you know, it's all turned out fine. And uh, But I think that desire to stop resisting when you've been resisting your whole, since you were a little girl, resisting getting into skirt, getting into tights, literally resisting the physical, you know, dressing of yourself as a small child, you were tired. You'd resisted for so long. Every single day, you bore a girl, yeah, you bore a girl. Look, why don't I just lie down? Why don't I just do what they want and say, yes, mm. I'm a girl and this is what a girl looks like and I'll be straight and it'll be easy. And I think, you know, in some ways, Sarah, you having done that and having tried and tried it out and being able to tell that story is part of the excellent representation you now bring. Yeah, I I hope so. And I, th- I think that it is, I think that it is relatable and I think it is very, um, it's, I know a lot of people who, 
who like me probably if they'd been given the opportunity in school to flick a switch and and be the most nondescript person at school they would have flicked it because yeah. it that would have been so much easier than having to figure out whatever it is and i didn't i didn't know any other queer people i think i was 16 when i met another girl that was bisexual uh, but I, you know, my early teens, I was convinced that I would never fall in love with anyone and I would never have a family and that nobody would ever desire me. And I was like, I'd, I, you know, there are so many boys here. Why, why can't I just fancy one of those boys? That would make life so much easier. When did you realise there's a big lesbian community and queer community and do you think it was when you got to university or what time is it now um <laughs> i i post university post I'm, university um, so at university there wasn't an lgbtq society or anything like that there was an lgbtq society there was a small one i'm not sure how active it was but i think at that point i was so internally homophobic that i think i saw them at a society's fair or something like that and maybe it looked a bit too queer for me. And But I used to walk around, I used to say things like, I'd, I'd put on a shirt in the morning and I'd say things to my friends like, oh, does this look too lesbian? Do I look too look too much like a lesbian? And that was even after I was out. Because I, I still didn't really want to be gay, even though I was out and I was dating women. I still didn't want to be one of the gay gays. And I, I resisted, you know, I, I love my hair now and I, like, I, I feel more myself than I've ever felt in my life. I resisted cutting my hair short because I was like, oh, I look, you know, I look like a lesbian. And now I'm like, well, I, I like being a lesbian. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I've got to that point in my life. But when I was at uni, I wasn't looking for a community. I was still trying to be straight. And it was when I came out of uni and I started doing comedy. And then I made friends who were queer and they looked queer <laughs> and I liked them. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, there's this whole you know, world of people that are just people. <laughs> there's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing weird or spooky about these people. They're just, they're just people like you. That, that suddenly I was like, oh, the queer community is vast and amazing. And I resisted it for so long because I had this idea in my head that I suppose had just been instilled in me from a young age that the queer people were other and I didn't want to step into that world of othering it was all the language of university and I remember there was some boys in my halls who found out that one of the girls in my halls was bi and that was news that was that was news and they were like did you have you heard this about her and it turns out I'm still friends with one of those guys because when I first met him I told him or he found out that I'd had a girlfriend in school and I was telling people I was bi and he was very unpleasant not unpleasant but sort of uh, strangely interested in that and over the years we were we stayed friends and then about a year after coming out of uni we would we were outside a bar like I think we just stood outside and he came out to me and no I had no idea and nobody knew and I, I thought back and I thought that's why he was so strange about my sexuality when we were in our first year of uni was because Maybe I was one of the first people that he'd met. And we're all trying to pretend to be 
like everyone else, especially yeah. in Freshers Week, first year of uni, everybody was trying to be desperately trying to not be seen in. Yeah, as, as something other than the, the norm, the, the norm of what, what we, we all thought everyone else was being. I doubt any of those people were what they were pretending to be. Um, yeah, it's uni. What is so painfully clear is that it is the power structures that cause all this misery. Because in environments where people are just allowed to be themselves and allowed to go, yeah, I'm a girl and I dress like this, or actually don't feel that comfortable with the title girl. I'm a non-binary person or I'm a, I'm a, no, I'm a boy. I definitely am a boy. The more that those power structures are withdrawn and retracted mm. and kids can say, yeah, I'm a girl, but I'm a girl who dresses like this and I'm interested in these things. Or, you know what, it just doesn't sound right to me to say that I'm a girl. I feel like I'm definitely a boy. Um, yeah. The more that children see a broad spectrum of different people with different genders, different gender expressions, different gender identities, the more that they see a different spectrum of sexual orientations and it's no big deal, there's no need for any of it to cause any misery, really. Mm. As long as there's like an open policy where kids can say, yeah, this is how I feel and I am. And and that might flip, that might be fluid, so that might change. Yeah. The more that there is, it's normed, it's all normed, there's no need for it to cause any misery to anybody. But it would be life-changing because the most uncomfortable feeling is feeling like people are looking at you going, what is going on over there? Mm. Whereas if you're, you're able to sit in a room and be who you want to be and not think that anyone is looking at you thinking that you're different or strange or odd and you're just a, you can just be a person in a room, it's just such a wonderful, freeing feeling. Um, I, I mean, I even have it now where... I I've, I forgot about it during the pandemic and lockdown, but I feel like I'm re-remembering and it's been a bit of a shock that like I, I find going to public toilets really difficult because if I go into a lady's toilet, I am commented on or I'm looked at in a way that, that, that just like I'll have people open the door and look at the sign and then look back at me and then look at the sign and I have to go, you know, you're in the right place. I just, I have short hair. Um, <laughs> and I don't know whether it's just, I'm just noticing it more so now because I, we, we stopped for a while and now I've come back in. But um, It happens to all of my friends who have androgynous gender expression or more masculine yeah. gender expression. It happens all the time where there's a sort of, you're, they're being told they're in the wrong loo or they're in the wrong queue or, you know, like it happens all the time, all, mm. all, all, all the time. And I'd be interested to to hear your opinion and hear other people's opinion about this, because I was in a restaurant the other day and I asked the waiter to not call us lady. And I did it in a way where I, I just tried to be polite. I said, oh, excuse me, um, would you not call us ladies, please? And this waiter looked at me a bit confused and went, uh, yeah, sure. And then suddenly, because I'm British, I got very worried that I'd been a dick. Um, and I was like trying to work out whether or not but I, I couldn't because it's, it's happened in other restaurants over the last sort of couple of months. And I've found it upsetting because I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but wait staff, if they start calling you ladies, will call you ladies pretty oh much every time they approach the table. And Got your drinks, ladies. Hello, ladies. Yeah. You ready, village, ladies? Any, any pudding, ladies? And so Here you are, ladies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just it's just a lot on the a lot on the ear if that's something that for you is. Uh, emotionally very grating and uh, yeah. something that's not comfortable for you. 
And I think this person did it twice. And then I said, oh, would you not do that? Because I thought, I just don't want to sit here all night having that happen over and over again. Because it's strange that that word in particular, I just find very jarring. And then I was like, I don't, I don't know if there was an easier way of going about that or whether or not I have to just get used to saying, can you just not do that? I mean, if you don't want to, I think it's absolutely fine just to politely say, request it. I don't think you need to make it easier. If I want to do something like that and I don't want any emotional hangover where I'm there sitting there going, oh my God, I've upset someone. I tend yeah. to make it a joke and I go, could we shift away from ladies and more into the sort of gang space? Um, yeah, we yeah, prefer yeah. to be called, hey gang, um, team. Yeah. We'd go with team and I sort of try and make it again a game and a play, something playful. Um, and if I were with you, I would think I would do that as an ally because if I'm the one asking and I've got very femme gender expression to the extent where I'm Bridgerton business, Um, no one's going to look at that corset and, you know, think anything except Bridgerton business. Um, so I, uh, uh, so with my tits a lot into the business of calling you fair maidens and things. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But I think I would step up and say, and I suspect you could always ask someone else to do it as well. Could you say, can you ask the waiter not to say ladies? And then if you ask someone with more femme gender expression than you, they will be able to phrase it in a way. I always try and make those things a joke so that then that waiter, if they're having a crappy night, they get to have a bit of fun with your table rather yeah. than them feeling crappy. But I think it's absolutely fine to just ask in a nice voice. I don't think there's anything. It sounds like you asked politely and they went, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And they, they, so they, they want- didn't say it again. I don't want to make a, like a, a the wait staff spend the rest of the night being like, oh shit, I called that person the wrong thing, and now I'm an idiot. Like I don't want like no, I don't but- want to put that kind of guilt on anybody. But I was like, I just I just think that. But I was also maybe not in the best mood when I was there. So maybe, I think like- it's probably good though that you do say it because you're saying it then on behalf of that person might think again about saying it to another table where someone might not speak up and be uncomfortable all night. That's what I hoped. Yeah, and I mean, I thought. I guess that is that that is me starting to protect my patch, which is yeah. uh, little tiny androgynous people in restaurants. I think it's great. I think it's great. We were asked very early on not to say ladies and gentlemen at the Guilty Feminist. And, it, mm. you know, at first I was like, well, why? And then I went, yeah, okay. I, I want everyone to feel welcome here. I want this to be for like a family. I don't want people sitting in my audience going, because it was always a did show then and hopefully will be again soon. But, um, mm. you know, I didn't want people sitting there flinching. No. I didn't want people. I don't want that. I want everyone to feel comfortable. And how easy is it to say, now I'll say like, hello, King's Place or hello, Sydney yeah. or, you know, wherever we are. And then when I come out, you know, I might say hello, gang, um, hello, team or hello, feminists or whatever. I, and I, it didn't cost me. It didn't cost me to give it up. But I'm much more aware of it now. And I I think words like gang and team and um they just make sure no one's having that experience. And I think if you have never had that experience, if you've always felt comfortable being called a lady or a gentleman, it's hard for you to imagine how constant it is and how flinchy and difficult that is where you think, oh, this is this show is now not for me. This show is yeah. for people who are in one of these very binary camps. And actually, it's quite old-fashioned, ladies and gentlemen. You, we, 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 no other context we would call a man a gentleman, really. It's sort so of if like... I've ever addressed a man as a gen- or a group of men as gentlemen in my it's life. It's archaic. And it's, on, it's only yeah. a thing where a way we address audiences. So I'm sort of going, hmm, I'm, yeah. I'd rather change that, which will take me five minutes to learn, 
and then have prolonged periods where people feel discomfort um, because yeah. there's no need for it. And the world must change. Language must change. It is changing. There is no putting this genie back in the bottle. Uh, I know there are no. lots of people who would like to, but it's Generation Z is like, we're not we're doing away <laughs> with this binary. Yeah. Um, so, Ladies and gentlemen is such a strange one because it's so in, ingrained in a performer's head as 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 how you, like, like it's taken me a while to find an alternative and get used to the inflection of it mm. in the same way. What do you um, say now? I on and tour shows and things. I don't. I don't do anything because I did tour support for Nish Kumar, and he literally will just go, "Please welcome to the stage, Nish Kumar," and I think that's quite cool because mm-hmm. it's just like, "Bam, I'm here." So I started doing that. But then other times I've done like uh, people of the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yeah, specifically, uh, good evening, Soho Theatre, please put your hands together and welcome to the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rabbit fans like... of Sarah Keyworth, I'd yes. say, if I were introducing you. Rabbit mm-hmm. fans of Sarah Keyworth, are you yeah. ready? Don't say Rabbit Franz, though, because my dad's called Fran and he would just think that was him. Oh, not Rabbit Franz, sorry, Rabbit fans, yeah. I meant to say. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a misstep. Uh, that, would, that would be specifically aimed at my dad because he is a Rabbit Fran. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's probably time to bring our excellent guests on. Um, I'm excited to meet them. I I've, mean, got all my, I've got all my swears out of the way. Excellent. Do you want to end it quickly swear before they come on and before your mum um, comes on to protect? She'll be on I don't mute. know why. I don't know why my brain immediately went to poo and bomb. So I think I'm already in the zone. Don't worry about already it. In the zone. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah. just letting you know that we are back out and live again. It's taking us a while to ease back in, but we had, I think, one of the best shows of my life at Soho Theatre just because it was so incredible to be in a theatre with a full house. It was amazing. On the 10th of September at the Queen Elizabeth Hall on the South Bank, Susan McClomer is back co-hosting, Nina Conti is guesting and Monkey monkey representing the patriarchy. Jess Robinson is singing for us. It is going to be just a really glorious, let go, old school, guilty feminist celebration. We are going to have a really, really good time. And we really, really want you to be there with us. It just feels so emotional to me, honestly, to be back in front of audiences. And uh, this is going to be a big one. So I really, really, it's just going to feel like the whole night's going to feel like a massive hug. That's on the 10th of September. On the 11th of September, we're going to have Kima Bob guest co-hosting, the amazing band She Drew the Gun, who are going to uh, be playing for us, and we're going to be chatting to them as well. Susie Ruffle is going to be doing stand-up comedy, and we're going to have some incredible guests because it was meant to be London Pride that day. This show's going to have a kind of queer London pride feel, and we're also going to be talking about the rights raid the government's currently doing with the policing bill and the Borders Act. So it's we're going to have some really amazing conversations. It's going to feel joyful. It's going to feel funny. Um, we're going to all be together, uh, but we're also going to have a really interesting conversation. So both of those nights, you could come to both of us, and they're going to be very different, actually. Um, Susie Wacombe and Nina Conti and Jess Robinson, and then Kima Bob, Susie Ruffle, She Drew the Gun, and some really interesting guests doing a deep dive on some important stuff. Um, so please, please, please book your tickets now. Don't miss out. 
some tickets are £20 and some tickets are £25 because uh, they're all sort of much bigger, all singing, all dancing shows. Please, if you can afford a £25 ticket, buy one and leave the £20 tickets for those who can't. To get tickets, go to southbankcentre.co.uk or follow the link in the show notes, or you can always check out our website, guiltyfeminist.com. And now back to the podcast. Our guests today are three of our younger listeners. Amelia had her own magazine column, age five. What have you been doing with your life, Sarah Keyworth? Started a magazine to raise money for refugees aged eight. You're questioning yourself now, aren't you? And toured the UK with the Welsh National Opera aged 11. She loves singing and drama and aspires to be an actor. Amy danced at Wales Millennium Centre, aged four, sang with opera singer Wynne Evans, aged nine, and has spoken at a conference on air pollution attended by CEOs of large companies. She's interested in fashion and drama and wants to be a fashion designer, a sustainable, ethical one, I'm sure. Roxy has performed twice with three-tone all-girl punk band, The Tuts. She has also sung protest songs outside the Welsh Assembly and was in the choir for the musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Her ambition is to be a vet or to go into the creative arts. Please welcome to the Guilty Feminist, Amelia, Amy and Roxy. Um, Could you all introduce yourselves, please? Okay. Hi, um, I'm Amelia. I'm 13 and I live in Wales. Hello, Amelia. Hi, I'm Roxy. I'm 13. I also live in Wales. Hello, Roxy. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm 13 and I also live in Wales. What's <laughs> in the water in Wales? What's going on? I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they know each other. I think it's a conspiracy. But we are kind of all in the same house. And, yeah. You know. Okay, so somebody is just breeding brilliant children in Wales. <laughs> that is what's happening. That's it's actually what's fantastic. Happening. Your friends, it? not sisters, though, right? My friends, yeah. Yeah, your friends, not sisters. So... You are very young feminist. Now, Amelia, can you explain how I met you? Um, I came on the Patreon because I had an I'm a feminist but, and you asked me to come and say it on the podcast and here I am. That's right. That's right. So we were doing a Patreon event. So if you sign up for Patreon, you get some like live events where you come along and basically be on a Zoom call with me and sometimes another guilty feminist regular and we chat and answer questions and and sometimes we you know we speak one to one with people who come on and this is a great incentive for people to give to the Patreon and Amelia your mum was on that Patreon event and uh, on you popped and I was like well you're a very young Patreon uh, supporter because you're 13 and you said oh no my mum's on but I had a I'm a feminist but and you told it to us and we ended up chatting and thinking this would make a great panel uh so Amelia can you tell us what that I'm a feminist but was okay um I'm a feminist but my dad is a men's rights activist and when I go to his house I kind of just nod along and agree with him in order for him to stop talking about it <laughs> I, I now <laughs> Now, Amelia, I don't think you told us on the Patreon you agreed with him. It was more that you've taken him on in the past and some days for a quiet life you just go, oh, I can't take him on every time. I've given up on it now. I'm just, yeah, I'm just not long. Yes, Dad, I thoroughly disagree, but I think it's 
I'm not going to bother anymore. You've said your piece to your dad enough times. And he's, it's, it would be a full-time job now. I'm so proud that you have managed to get to a point at 13 where you have mastered the, the nod along and agree uh, <laughs> just to make it end thing with, uh, uh, forgive me for saying this about your father, slightly obnoxious man. Uh, but uh, I, This is you I pick the brilliant. battles. Yeah, absolutely. You've got, to, you've got to preserve your own mental health, Amelia, and I think that's fantastic. Well done, you. That's great. Self-care, we call this. Yeah. Self-care. You can't every single time go into a full TED talk because your dad knows this and it's going to exhaust you. It's going to exhaust you. I have um, to do it with my dad about golf, so I sympathise <laughs> extremely with you about men's oh, rights. God, is he a golf rights activist? And sorry, I think that's worse, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's not worse. You cannot say a golf rights activist. <laughs> He's as mad as a men's rights activist. That's He's always I, there outside the club with his placard. I don't know. I think it's pretty close, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say in sort of a, in, uh, in boring levels, probably very similar. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, if you're listening in, men do need rights. And there are some, some men's rights activists' requests I think are very valid. But the whole feel of the campaign, which is um, men are the ones hardly done by women have got nothing to complain about, uh, does rather fly in the face of feminism. Yeah, uh, we're not suggesting... they have to have some rights. They, they have to have yeah. some rights. And, um, and some of the ones they ask for, I think, I'd like to talk to your dad because I reckon I could win him round media with my bridge-building <laughs> techniques. Um, Amy, do you have an I'm a feminist but? Uh, I do, actually. I'm a feminist, but when I found out I was going to be on the podcast, my first thought was, oh, my God, what am I going to wear? And now you can't even see my outfit. Oh, <laughs> because it's so low in the Zoom. Can you stand yeah. up and show us? Because I had to stand up and show um, my Bridgerton business. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yes, very nice. That's a gorgeous dress, actually. Yeah, and Thank actually, you. weirdly, it's toned in very well with your curtains because you've got black and white cat curtains and then you've got a black and white... Just for the listeners yeah. at home, it's a black and white patterned dress and it's really lovely. This is Amelia's mum's room. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amelia's mum and I would get on very well because we're both lovers of the cats. Roxy, do you have an I'm a feminist but? Yes. Okay, so I'm a feminist but when it comes to fixing things or building things in the house, we rely on my dad. They have to have some function, Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> and also... You don't want to be expending energy on that. You've got the patriarchy exactly. to fight. You can't be yeah. putting up shelves. You've got to be. You've got to be. You've got to be knocking down the patriarchy. Um, now tell us, because you three all identify as feminists. You're 13 years old. You're at school. I don't know that at 13 I could have articulated that I was a feminist. Or I think think I was, but I don't think I would have said it, and I don't think I would have been politically active about it. Could you explain a little bit about why you think you need feminism on your patch in your local environment? Amelia? Um, well, I feel like we've all been raised very open to feminism and, you know, been aware of it from a very young age. And I feel like we would just feel so bad about ourselves and so bad about what was happening to us if we weren't aware that, this is the society injustice and we just start blaming ourselves for the way that things are. Can any of you talk about what sorts of things happen at school 
that are personal to you that have made you feel like you need feminism? Well, a lot of the time in, well, it's not really personal to me, but in some of my friends' classes, they have said to me that boys often like try to overpower the girls by like taking over like everything in the class. Do you mean like debating or um, taking the floor? Just in general. I think the main problem that a lot of us are having is that the boys are very, very unaware of consent and they are completely inappropriate a lot of the time and they don't understand the concept because they've never been taught. Mm. How does that manifest at 13, that lack of understanding Um, around consent? It's awful, upskirting and consensual um, inappropriate touching and inappropriate comments all around school. I think a lot of us have experienced it and it's really awful. Upskirting at 13? Oh yeah, my there's God. a particular patch in the yard where there's always lots of crowds and there is a lot of that around there and nobody ever reports it. So when you say upskirting, do you mean the practice of um, putting a camera up someone's skirt and taking a yes. picture? Yeah. Wow. Do you know our friend Gina Martin made a new law? She fought very hard to change the law so that that was illegal. And the reason it wasn't illegal is it was a quite new technology, obviously, when, you know, it's not been long that people have had cameras with that technology available. And so she, this happened to her and she changed the law. So that is actually illegal now and you can be prosecuted for it. There was uh, an investigation done into the conduct at school and uh, the ways in which young boys were behaving with young girls and around consent and things like that. And there was a list of schools that were publicised where they'd had these incidences of inappropriate behaviour. Do you know if your school, I don't know if you heard about this, but do you know if your school was listed um, no, I know it's not um it's not listed in this particular study, but I have looked it up um and on another website where um they list like the amounts of things that have been reported in each school um to this particular place, apparently my school has zero oh, my which goodness. I know is absolutely not true, but nobody's reporting it. I can really empathise with this, Amelia, because I I was talking to my mum about it when this report was coming out and I found uh, my mum was sort of saying, oh, did you have any experience of this at school? And I have really clear memories of boys at school being inappropriate and the uniform that we were forced to wear as girls was quite exposing. It was a white shirt and boys would tip water over you and try and make it sort of go see-through or they would give you a hug. I had a a boy at school who would hug girls and then unhook their bra and things. And it makes me really sad to hear that that sort of hasn't changed at all since I was at school. And we didn't do anything because it was just, I think, ingrained, as much as it's ingrained within the boys, that that is how you're sort of allowed to treat girls. You're allowed to touch them how you want and consent is not a thing. It's also ingrained within a lot of girls that there's no if you say something you're no fun you're a prude uh you can't take a joke and i'm i'm really i mean i'm impressed with you even now saying it here like it's uh, it's it shouldn't be your responsibility to go to your school and report it they should be aware of these things if there's a specific place in your school where this is happening i feel like teachers should be noticing this stuff 
And I, I'm impressed that you guys, because it was not, this was not a conversation when I was at school. Nobody, at no point did I turn around and go, that guy just touched me without my consent. I just went to my next lesson and thought, oh, it's annoying that that's just happened to me. So I think it's really interesting, exciting that you guys are, are starting to have these conversations and you're starting to recognize that it's not okay. Yeah, I remember boys um, coming up when girls started wearing bras, they'd come up behind you and sort of snap the bra to sort of say, oh, I can see you're wearing a bra. Um, mm. And that was a sort of seen as a sort of cheeky prank. But I can't imagine ever going to a teacher and going, he just did that because I, I think I would think that I would be called a grass or as it was said in Australia, a dauber. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a different world there. Um, so <laughs> uh, I never would have thought of it. Um, but you guys seem to be, um, well, you're young and identifying as feminists. Have you ever tried to start a discussion with any of your teachers or with any of the boys about feminism? Uh, Roxy, you've performed with a punk band. How does that, because that's sort of very anarchist and trying to sort of you know, provoke and overturn the system. Does that play into how you feel or whether or not you would ever plan to be brave enough to do those things? I think if something like that ever happened to me, I'd definitely say something because I've been like kind of told like that if anything does happen to me like that, it's not my fault and I should report it. Um, Amy, um, have you ever had, because it's clear that you've had discussions with each other about feminism. Have you ever had discussions with your teachers or any or, or attempted to have discussions with the boys about feminism? Um, well, I have talked to this one boy in my class about feminism a few times but he just sort of turns it into a joke you know and he doesn't really um take it seriously and that's really frustrating mm. because it just seems like he thinks that there's no problems at all what would you like to see changed if you could reshape the school system so that it was more accommodating for feminism and for you to start these conversations what would you like to see changed i would just sort of like equality you know because there's like the upskirting that's just not fair it's just it's creepy as well um I don't know how to put it into words um Amelia what would you like to see changed like Amy's saying she'd really like equality well I think that how we could achieve that is boys being educated within the school system about consent and what is and isn't appropriate. And I think we need that to be enforced within the curriculum from a really young age. And we need that to be, you know, a very common knowledge. And I mean, at my school, I say, and in most schools in the area, I'm pretty sure that half of the boys don't even know what the word, word consent means or anything to do with it that's interesting and it is i find it amazing that it's not on the curriculum because i just think consent and also looking for signs that someone else is engaged in the same way that you are should be on the curriculum it seems strange to me that in 2021 it still isn't 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Do you have uh, sex education lessons at your school? Um, yes, but it hasn't been anything to do with any of the issues that would be important. So what sort of things do you talk about in sex education? Just very much basics. I think we had one lesson in primary school, one lesson in year eight, and that was pretty much it. I remember that from school, and it was completely useless, and it was just putting a condom on a banana and then at one point they separated us out boys and girls and our teacher put a tampon in a water glass and was kind of like eh? and I was like I, I don't really understand why the boys couldn't see that she just uh, she took that happened in primary school as well they put it in they, they just gave us a pack of tampons and we put them in water and threw them at each other that was a really fun lesson but I yeah mean, but what have you learned <laughs> I'm a feminist, yeah. but my favourite sex education lesson was throwing wet tampons at my friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I didn't have even to say, get that. We didn't even I have that. to say, you shouldn't take that lesson into later life. <laughs> yeah. I remember once when I was working as a supply teacher, a teacher in the staff room saying to me that he just had to teach this lesson. And it was really interesting, the attitudes of the teachers going, oh, God, you drew the short straw. You had to do this embarrassing lesson. And he went, all I, I can just imagine, you know, a uh, couple of years down the line, this, you know, some guy, you know, one of these kids that I've just been teaching in a parked car saying, all right, love, I've got the condom on the banana. <laughs> now I'm ready to go. <laughs> and that's the full sex education uh, as mm. apparently uh, that Britain currently has to offer. And I'm sure there are some teachers out there listening to this going, no, 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 we do more, we do more. And I know that there are some hardworking teachers that really do work to make sure that consent is on the curriculum, even locally in their school. But it doesn't seem to be nationally something that we're talking about from a young age. And it's really easy before you talk about sex, you can talk about consent. You can talk about, you know, somebody just imposing a kiss or a hug or a physical kind of jokey push or, you know, on somebody else. Or it's asking the question, you know, are you respecting the boundaries of their body and are you checking in and looking for signs that they're happy to engage in anything physical with you? 
But it's it's interesting because in some senses that does happen, but not within the context of inappropriate touching with your peers, your same age. Because my mom is a nursery teacher and she would be able to instill in three and four year olds, oh, you kiss mummy at home, but you don't kiss teachers at school. And that was a lesson that was taught pretty much to every three year old at the moment they walk through the door. And I don't know. I've never seen an 11 year old try and kiss a teacher. (laughs) So that lesson sticks. And I think it's, it should be sort of, it should be taken away from sex and it should be happening right from the start early on. You'd have hands and feet to yourself, but hands and feet to yourself. The message there is don't kick people. (laughs) It's not don't touch people. Mm. Or check in for social engagement signs that someone does want to hold your hand or they are having fun having a water fight with you in the playground when it's hot at the end of the day or whatever, that look for signs of engagement and fun. Because what we don't want to do is say, everyone, look away from each other, become people who don't have any contact. And I think especially after this year of COVID, when everyone's been at home on Zoom school, there is probably a desire as, you know, at some point when COVID is under control and people are jabbed and that kind of thing, there will be a desire for people to make more human contact. How has homeschooling changed this landscape for you? Roxy, do you think it's changed things? And what would you like to see now you are going back into physical school? What would you like to see being different? Well, considering that we literally had one, well, half of a feminist lesson in school, and it was just looking at the vocabulary used in a feminist speech, um, and I feel like school would use that as lockdown as an excuse as to why we haven't had too many lessons on feminism. And I reckon that in that in school, now that we're back in person, we should do more on that because there's no excuse anymore. Great. More lessons that actually cover feminism and presumably also other yeah. intersections of inequality as well. Amelia, anything that you'd like to see change now you go back into school? Because it's a sort of an opportunity for a fresh start in some ways. Well, yes, I obviously I feel that we need to be doing the consent lessons, but I feel what Roxy said, they're definitely going to use this as an excuse to have not taught us all of these things. But, I mean, they weren't teaching this before, and now they're going to use this as an excuse, and then in a couple of years' time, they're going to try and use a different excuse, and it's just it feels like they're never going to fix this properly unless we say something. So do you think that... With the Guilty Feminist, you could draft something that you could say because if, I mean, I think one of the sort of tenements of feminism, if you like, is to speak up and ask for change. If everything was as we wanted it to be, we wouldn't need feminism. So do you think going in with something, if you three went in with something drafted that had some really great requests and points on it saying well now we're back in physical school hey we don't want to go back to having that area of the yard where boys were upskirting we would like to have you know a feminist club that meets uh once a week at lunchtime we would like to have some more lessons on consent um what do you think about that amelia i definitely think that's a really good idea but i feel like that might only go a certain way because i feel like people are coming to the school with these kind of things all the time And they last for a little while and then they just kind of fizzle out and everything will go back to just the way it was before. I mean, after we've left the school, after we've stopped dealing with these things, then it's... You mean when you move on to the next school? Yeah. 
I don't necessarily know that that's true because sometimes you can bed in a legacy and a culture in a school. And there are still societies that I know about that people started when they were at school that still exist in that school. So I think you're right, that's a danger. But I also think that even if it's there just for the time you're there, it could make a big impact, even if it makes a huge impact in three or four kids' lives. And a couple of boys go, do you know what? I've always remembered that. Or a couple of girls who are turning into women go, oh, that gave me the confidence at my next school to say X, Y, and Z, or my university to put myself forward for something. It's worth it. But you would be surprised at how sometimes if you establish something, and especially if you give it a very formal name, like the, we won't say the name of your school, obviously, but the um, the X, Y, and Z school feminist society, um, and you give it some kind of name or you name it after a famous Welsh feminist or something like that, there can be something about that. And especially if you're happy as you get older to go back and visit the school, um, like when you're uni- university, if you go back and say, I founded this society and you go back and speak, those kind of things do go a long way. Um, so you might be surprised at your own legacy, Amelia. Are there any teachers at all that you just want? It might not even be a teacher that specifically teaches you, but is there is there anyone at your school, uh, an adult figure, who you felt like you could talk to in private about this? Um, yes, I certainly feel like I think there's one or two teachers that are feminists and I think would take this, you know, to as far as their power goes if we spoke to them about it. But we've never really had the confidence to do that. Because I think if you, I mean, there's there's the three of you, I hope and presume that there are maybe other non-binary or female students at your school who feel the same way and it doesn't have to be that this is we are reporting it to the school and we want immediate action but it's just a private conversation between you guys and a teacher that you trust and you ask them you say we don't want this to go further than this room but we just want to talk to somebody in confidence and see whether or not there is anything that we can do as a group and that might not be taking action against things that have already happened it might just be having that little representative within the faculty that makes you feel like you've got a little bit more strength and power behind you because you do have power and you have the three of you have power because you're in a group, you have power as individuals. But I think the thing that you need is a little bit of a confidence boost. And if you do have just one adult, one teacher, you could have that conversation with the three of you together or even send this podcast when it comes out and say, we would like you to listen to this. And then you don't have to do it directly, but you can say, these are some of the things that we're talking about when we're at home or in the playground. And we wondered whether you might have any thoughts on it. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think I think we should definitely do that. Yeah, I think that would be more of an impact more of an impact than right. just answering something on a pupil survey thing that they put out because nothing happens when they do those. I hope and I like to think that there would be at least one teacher in your school who would be quite shocked and appalled to hear that you guys were feeling this way and didn't feel like you could say anything. There might be teachers at your school who listen to The Guilty Feminist who might think, hold on, I recognise those voices, um, who might bring this to your attention and go, were you on The Guilty Feminist last week? And, uh, oh, can we have a chat about that? That could be the case. But what would be really exciting is if, uh, do you know other girls at your school who feel like this or you think might be open to feminism? 
Definitely. Um, yes, yes, definitely. Um, females and non-binary people, I think, we can find that are definitely be. Great. Are there non-binary pupils at your school who are out? Yes, I can think of one in particular that was one of our best friends who couldn't come on, but... Yeah, oh, definitely. Man, I love that. You've got that's re- yeah, and it's really great, you know, that kids can be free to express who they are, and you know, if we feel free at the age of thirteen to go to school and say this is who I am. So, what's exciting is that you could be the beginning of a movement that could last at your school for generations to come, and you could be the people that go back as grown ups. And say, you know, we'll come back in once every six months or once a year or whatever. And now with online events as well, you could even from your university, you could zoom in and do an event for them. So, you know, this could be something where you go, we're going to build this, but also we're going to make sure it lasts. So what we would love to do is, you know, is help you uh, create something like this. That would be, that'd be really good. If you're you. also feeling nervous that'd about this, cool. this doesn't have to it doesn't have to be a named thing you could uh, you could write an email you could write a letter to a teacher and you you don't it can be an anonymous thing or it could be signed with all the names of the students who have felt this way so that it's there is a strength in numbers but uh, i would hate for you guys to be put off by just just feeling slightly anxious about approaching someone so even if you wrote a letter or you wrote an email and sent it to a teacher and uh, i think that if it was some, if it was one that you liked um, and felt comfortable with, I would be very shocked if they didn't respond positively. Yeah, I reckon they will. And I think if you've got your sights on a couple of teachers that you think, yeah, I think, you know, she might go for it, then probably you're right about that person, and they'll probably be really impressed that you've come on the Guilty Feminist, and also that you've put together some kind of document requesting change. And you know, some of those can be. We're concerned that there's upskirting going on in the school, which teachers will probably be. I hope that they'll be shocked to hear that and not go, oh, yeah, we know about that part of the yard. I really, really hope they're going to go, what? Definitely that can never happen again. Um, But also you could make it very positive, like we'd love to have a lunchtime meetup or something like that. And where I wouldn't say is there room in the curriculum, I'd say where is there room in the curriculum to talk more about feminism? Because also, if you're dealing with history, how are women represented when you're talking about history, for example? Um, I, especially last year, had a lot of trouble in my school with um, complaining to the history department every lesson because we'd never had a proper woman in the lesson that wasn't a mother or a daughter or a wife or a sister or just anything that wasn't just to just their whole the the entire portrayal of women in this was to be a relative of a man and mm. that's all that there was representing women and then a queen that was being told what to say by men and that's all we really learnt and every single time I would kind of try and say something to the teacher but they would always say you know something about curriculum, something about women weren't there at that time, they were off having babies, women didn't exist before the 20th century, you know, that kind of thing. It's well known, Uh, (laughs) women were an early 20th century invention, much like Coca-Cola. Yes. Um, And uh, so, you know, it is just what we've got to deal with, that we're a whole, uh, a new, a brand new gender. Um, 
I I think that's a really interesting place to start as well. If you talk to your, you know, the teacher that you trust about it to say, it'd be great in science to hear about female scientists. It'd be great in history to hear about things from the story is continually told from a masculine point of view. And think about this in terms of what authors are you studying? In English literature, do you study many female authors or poets? Um. A little bit, definitely more historically, it's more men, even though I know for a fact that there were lots of great women in history that were doing these things. But mm-hmm. yeah, guys, don't you feel it was, it's nailed on? Yeah, we always tend to learn about rich old white men all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. it they, they're what we call canon. Um, somebody decides on the canon, somebody decides on the body of work and the people that are worth looking at. And the people who've decided on the canon tend to be rich white men. And they tend to favour the work and the discoveries of rich white men. So you know how I think it's best to counteract that is to do your research and bring in other examples and ask your teacher, could you tell us a little bit more about the Bronte sisters? Or I've brought in this poem from Maya Angelou. Or, and see if by stealth... And by asking questions, you can get them to admit that women existed and were valuable contributors. Yeah. And if they are sort of claiming that they're bound by a curriculum, you can say, well, is there any way we can have 10 minutes that is just not what we've been told that we have to learn by some higher power who is going to examine us because that's nonsense anyway and fairly certain school set books. But to say that you know you have an hour long lesson or an hour and a half long lesson i don't know how long your lessons are there's enough time in a school year to do things that you're not necessarily going to be tested on that will benefit you outside of life yeah i love that idea and 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 bring in you know print stuff out off the internet and then bring it in and pass it to your teacher and say i think this person would be you know a great addition roxy can you tell us a little bit about all-girl punk band The Tuts? Well, they're a three-tone punk band and I first heard them play at a festival when I was quite young and they were extremely loud and we thought there was like five of them but there's only three of them. Um, and they write songs about, they, or they write quite a few political songs and songs about girls having power. And you've sung with them? Yes, twice. How come you've ended up singing with them twice? Well, because um, the first time... Well, it's kind of a funny story how we met them. We kind of stalked them down in town in the restaurant and we found them in there because I knew that they were vegan. So we found a vegan restaurant and they were in there. So we met them You hunted them down. You knew they were in town and you were like, I know they're vegan. I know where they're going to be. There's one vegan restaurant in this town yeah. and I will sit there until they come in, until the tuts come in. This is some yeah. top draw we, work. We went in there and my mum goes to me, we should sit on the table next to them and start singing their songs. But we never did that. <laughs> probably, for did best, that. probably for the best. Yeah, definitely. And um, The Guilty Feminist does not endorse stalking, but this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so and we, so then they started talking to you? Well, no, we kind of... I'm, I feel like we just talked to each other straight away kind of thing. And then later on in the evening when their concert was that we were already planning and going to, we saw them there again and they kind of just invited me on stage to um, do a bit at the beginning for them. And then... Wow. Yeah. And then I think it was a couple of years later, they were before the specials at a concert. and. Um, 
they because we already knew each other then from the previous time we saw them. And they invited me on stage again and pretty much the same thing. I am excited for your future. You've also sung protest songs outside the Welsh Assembly. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So we went to a protest outside the Welsh Senate, I think it was, and um, they were inviting people up to just sing if they felt like it or say something inspirational, I guess. And I'm not sure what song it was, but I sang a song and it was like about knocking down Tory Towers. Excellent. An excellent choice. An excellent choice. Sounds like a great song. Amy... You're also an incredible singer and you sang with the opera singer Wynne Evans when you were nine. But I am also interested in, I mean, is it a stereotype to say the Welsh are fantastic at singing? But I'm, you know, there's an amazing culture of singing in Wales, but there is. Um, But you've also spoken at a conference on air pollution attended Uh by CEOs of large companies. Can you tell us about that? One of the teachers who used to work at my primary school went to work at the... um, Welsh water company thing I can't remember what it's called and um, he came back to our school one day and he was selecting students to go there and talk to them about air pollution and all of that you know and um, me and my brother were one of the two students that were selected to go talk there. And what was that like speaking in front of such you know intimidating people? It was quite cool. (laughs) um, I didn't really know anyone there so I was kind of nervous um but yeah it was it was cool are you still very passionate about the environment yes I think that um people take like the world and everything um they kind of use it and they don't really care what happens like factories and all that they just release all these deadly gases and everything like oh it doesn't matter if we're killing the earth they just don't seem to care anymore and I don't think that's right and I think we should do something about it before everything's too late yeah yeah the UN this week is saying some of it is bordering on too late now so we I'm, I'm hoping this will inspire large companies and corporates and um governments to act further as we as individuals must Amelia, you started a magazine to raise money for refugees aged eight. Can you? And you also toured with the Welsh National Opera. Again, another Welsh singer playing into a stereotype. Uh, can you tell us about your magazine? Um, yes. Um, me and a friend in our primary school had just started becoming a lot more aware of the refugee crisis. And um, we went to our... Um, our deputy head and we said we want to start a charity and he didn't really get it he said okay you'd like to donate some money to a charity no no, we'd like to start a charity um he wasn't really into that but he let us start a subcommittee and we had someone from every year i'm sorry the cat um And he, he, um, we started a magazine with some people that came from outside of school and we sold it. And I can't remember how much money we made, but it was quite a lot, which we um, donated to um, the people in refugee camps. Wonderful. I'm amazed that you had the wherewithal to do that at eight years of age. Um, And you had your own magazine column at five. What was that for? Um, That was um, me and... 
Um, my mum were really into baking, and we met someone at the wedding that owned a column in a magazine. He was the editor, and he asked us if we did baking, and we did a lot. Um, and we made beetroot brownies. And yeah. and you wrote a column about it? Yeah. Well, I think all of this stuff that you do as children and, and then, you know, increasingly as, you know, as you go into your teenage years really sets you up for a life of action and activity and realising you have a voice and that you have a voice to change things if you want. And in your all of your cases, beautiful singing voices as well by the sound of it. Um, can we please have any Welsh singing at all? Any, I'm looking for any amazing singing at all. Fine, Deborah, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) You seriously can't, Sarah. Oh, no, actually, I'm trying to think of a. I could do Tom Jones. (laughs) I don't think anyone wants me to do Sex Bomb right now. (laughs) Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. We would would be happy with Delilah. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, if nobody is open for singing, uh, we might go to Nadia. Before we do that, can I just say, Thank you so much for all being Guilty Feminist fans and listeners and for trying to change your patch. And we really would love it if you would uh, tell us how it goes because we've brainstormed this here and we want to hear how your teacher responds. And we also want to hear whether or not you're able to put something in place that you think, you know, some things are great for the moment. They don't have to last forever. Uh, but whether or not you can put something in place that is it might last longer than your stint at the school. So will you report back to us, please? Yeah. Um, yes, we definitely will. Thank you so much for having us on, Deborah. Thank you. It's been so Thank nice you. to talk to you. You guys are amazing. And I wish you all the best, honestly. Thank um, you. And if you need any help with your email um, that you're going to send the teacher or a presentation for them, um, please get in touch with us and, and uh, show us what you've got. And uh, uh, we can... Uh, help if we can and you uh, won't but- you you won't be the only one so um when that email is written and it, and if uh, the guilty feminists do help you i'm sure that there will be other students at other schools who might want to see it as a template and things and i think it should be a thing that should be shared with others because i i think that this definitely happens at almost every school across probably not the uk but the the entire world um and it is very, very important. And I think there'll be lots of people listening to this conversation and you guys talking and identifying with what you're saying. Um, so would it be okay if I just asked, um, would you recommend drawing on personal experiences within this or should we leave it as a blanket thing that we've... What's your instinct? What do you think your teacher will respond to more? I'm, I guess, saying, you know, what's... Um, what me personally my personal experience but I'm a bit worried that she'd just focus on that and put all of her effort into find into trying to find out who did that and then ignore everyone else but you um, could put that in in your letter and you can say I'm not writing to you because I want you to ask any questions this this is not specifically about me and what has happened to me this is a cultural problem within our school and I, I would like to have a conversation about that rather than a specific event. But to give you an example of the things that we are concerned about, these are things that we know that have happened to certain people. So you don't have to say this happened to me. We just you can just say these are things that we are aware that are, are happening and have happened. Thank you. Very good advice. Yeah. So send your email to me and Sarah and we'll have a look over it. And if we can think of anything else or just to give you the confidence to go, yeah, we think this is an amazing email. Um, and then. 
uh, if you're if it goes well, we can put it on our Guilty Feminist website as a template uh, for other people to send to teachers at their school and uh, see if you can get some kind of movement going. Because I do honestly think the only thing that ever changes things is people speaking up and saying we want this to be different and finding allies who are happy to join them in that change. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been wonderful guests. Big round of applause for Roxy, Amina and Amy. Now, we have a wonderful musician today. Nadia Javed is half Indian, half Pakistani, born in Ealing Hospital. She's a self-taught guitarist and she writes songs and sings in her band, The Tuts! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a mashup of pop and punk. So, Nadia, can Hi. you first of all tell us a little bit about how you met Roxy? Yeah, I mean, Roxy already told the story earlier on. I got, well, we I, got, from your I, got stalk, I got stalked in the vegan restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. It was amazing. And she turned up and she was wearing these like uh, these sunglasses that were in the shape of like a guitar. <laughs> and then she gave me a pair. <laughs> so we had these matching sunglasses. <laughs> and she was so small at the time. Like she's actually, she's grown up over the years now. And I've seen her grow in height. Like I think she's taller than me now. <laughs> but wow. um, she's so sweet um, and it was really lovely. And then you invited her on stage. Yeah, I invited her on stage. So I brought her on stage during our sound check and sort of taught her like how to tune a guitar and all of that stuff and my setup and yeah, just to kind of get a bit of a feel of a feel for it. And then during the actual show, she came on for a song that we have called Tut Tut Tut, which is about sexism in the music industry. And Roxy came on and was doing the um, in the intro and shouting Tut 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 down the microphone. And it was amazing. And then, and then a couple of years down the line, she did it again whilst we were supporting the specials. Um, yes. And it was amazing because, like the first time, the first time she came on stage, it was like a mixed, a mixed group of people, probably more like young girls. And then the second time, it was probably just to like a bunch of old white men. So it's quite funny. <laughs> it's quite funny actually. Excellent. <laughs> this has been such a roller coaster. This podcast because I became a, a, a I've become a fan of the tuts, and now I'm <laughs> and now I'm meeting a tut, and I'm. <laughs> I, I, oh, what a what a ride I've taken! It's very it's exciting, overwhelming. It's yeah. overwhelming. So, Nadia, what are you going to play for us today? Um, I'm going to play a song called "I Hate Boris." Great. And what was the Who's other one about? you said that you wanted uh, to play as well? <laughs> oh, so I've got I've got I had a couple of songs in mind. I've well, yeah, I've got a song called "I Hate Boris," uh, a song called "I Can't Marry You," and and, and are they was... about the same man? <laughs> 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 I <don't... laughs> this is so hilarious uh yeah it's about the same man <laughs> it's about okay. the same man <laughs> okay no i, I can't I marry wanna... these about sajid javid because our surnames are so similar i couldn't do that oh that's fair i mean fair, more than fair that you're not not related to sajid javid at all also i just can't see a british punk hero uh marrying any of the current conservative front <laughs> or dare I say it backbench I'm going there Nadia why don't you sing both of those songs for us because I'm too excited to hear them both okay um, so what are we going to hear first I hate Boris I hate Boris yes. Nadia Javid from the famous Tuts take it away I hate the weather and I hate Boris Johnson I hate 
Sajid Javid Cause he's brown and goes around town with his Tory gang I think he hates himself, I think he hates himself That Tory man He doesn't stand for me, he doesn't stand for me It's not diversity, he doesn't represent me He doesn't represent me. At first he called us letterboxes, then he said that we're bank robbers, but you're the one stealing in broad daylight. What the hell? Pretty Patel, you think you're moving forward, but you're backwards and you're bordered. You're brainwashed, you're whitewashed. Funds for the marginalised are lost. Tory tears wash away all the truth. I fear you empower the youth. Never choose you in the voting booth. I dare you switch up the truth. You're a disgrace to the human race. I can't stand to look at your face. You're a brown Uncle Festo who hates his ancestors. I hate the weather. And I hate Boris Johnson. And now, because we're on the BBC, for balance, a song, <laughs> Boris is really lovely guy. No, that's not true. We're not on the BBC. We're on Her Majesty's Internet. So uh, please, please, by all means, uh, share no balance whatsoever. But can we now have your second song? Yes. Um, so this song is called I Can't Marry You. And it was about uh an eight year I was in an eight year relationship with a guy a fellow Muslim I'm also Muslim and his parents wanted us to get an Islamic marriage which is known as a nikah and uh I really just didn't want to do it um and I realized that I couldn't marry him and had to get out of the relationship and one day I turned up to his house um and his sister was getting married and they had a ceremony in the house and I turned up late and I walked into the room which was full of like female relatives and as I walked in they all turned and looked at me and his mum said this is so-and-so's wife-to-be and I was like well that's the first I've heard of that so there we go um and this song's called uh I can't marry You wanna marry me, but you never even asked. Your mum and sister cornered me when you went to have a bath. Get in a car, make it halal. But I don't really wanna end up just like my mum and dad. I'm at your sister's wedding and I feel out of place. Everybody's here with a miserable face. What a waste of money Your homophobic cousins are funny And I don't really want to end up just like my mum and dad And I can't marry you 
I can't admit, I can't commit But you're forcing me away You're forcing me to say I fancy other people anyway <laughs> And I can't marry This weird dynamic where I'm the baby and you're the missing piece, the dad who walked out on me. We got a lot of love, but we don't make love. I don't really want to end up just like my mum and dad, because they got married young when my mum was 19 and sacrificed their youth to raise the family tree. And I'm so privileged, I'm living my ancestors' dreams And I don't really want to end up just like my mum and dad And I can't marry you It's not in my truth And I can't admit, I can't commit That you force me away You force me to say I fancy other people Anyway. Yes. Well, so good. We're all gonna look up the tarts. What's the what's the feminist song where everyone tarts? Oh, tart tart tart. Tart tart tart. Okay, I'm gonna look that up now. There's loads of cool songs. There's dump your boyfriend. Tart tart tart. And uh, the political song um, that Roxy was also referring to is called Something Worth Voting For. Which has the lines, uh, people power, knock down Tory towers. <laughs> Yay. Well, Dump Your Boyfriend is going to become a lesbian anthem, just by the way. <laughs> oh, 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 yes. They love that song. <laughs> I bet. They love it. Your I people love, it love that song, it. Sarah <laughs> Well, everybody look up the Tuts. And do you do solo stuff as well, Nadia? Yeah. So um, the two songs I played now are actually um, solo songs. I Hate Boris is only on YouTube at the moment. And I Can't Marry You is currently unreleased, unrecorded. And um, hopefully I will record it all and release a solo EP. Great. So I uh, look Please out do. for Nadia Javed, J-A-V-E-D. But also download everything the Tuts have ever done. And yes. uh, start dumping your boyfriend immediately. Mm. Um, it's, the, <laughs> it's the least you could do for feminist punk is dump your exactly. boyfriend. And also for Sarah Keyworth. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do the lesbians a favour and dump your boyfriend. I'm glad we're getting to the meat of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> if we are nothing here, if not generous to feminist punk and lesbians as a community and the crossover <laughs> of the two, the intersection of the two is very important. Um, Sarah Keyworth, do you have anything uh, that you would like to plug? I have a radio show on uh, BBC Radio Sounds. Uh, BBC Sounds, I think that's what they call it. Um, uh, and it's called Are You a Boy or a Girl? It's a four-part series that you can listen to as a podcast. And also, if you live in London, next Thursday, Friday and Sunday, uh, the 19th, 20th and 22nd of August, I'm doing live shows at the Camden Fringe Festival. Uh, so if anybody wants to come and see me there, I will be in the flesh asking you to dump your boyfriend. <laughs> excellent we look forward to being there and doing that um so amy amelia roxy nadia you've all been absolutely wonderful thank you so much 
And thanks to so much also to uh, all your mums who've stayed on to make sure nothing inappropriate was said, even though probably quite a lot inappropriate was said. <laughs> Sorry, mums. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Sarah Keyworth, and our very special guests, Amelia, Amy and Roxy, with music from Nadia Javid. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Croft, Gina Dizio, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Woo! Yeah. I'm going to get her on early because it's the only way to get Mrs. Keyworth on early. Shall I now do an impression of my mom? Yes, please. Yeah. Mrs. Keyworth. Uh, What do you think of Sarah? Uh, I don't, my instinct immediately was to go hello. <laughs> That's not how my, my mother is not a uh, street urchin in London in, in the 1700s, um, or in a, in a musical about the 1700s. Yes, my mom is not Oliver Twist. Um, Disappointing for all of us. I know it's a shock. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, protecting so, your pet. So when you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com